Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. J.J. Cooper, Kyle Glazer, joining you again two times in a row here. And two times in a row talking American League West top 10 prospects. We talked the Angels on Friday. Sorry for the gap on Monday. We had a snowmageddon here. There was a good solid inch, maybe two inches on the ground, depending on where you're eight, seven to eight in some places. Yeah, my house, we actually got, uh, I measured it, we got five because I had one of those nice big empty potted plants that really just kept filling up and I was curious. So I measured it. We got a full five inches, which from what I understand is is way more than usual in this part of the country. And it's the first time you've ever actually, I think, had snow like at your house. It was, you know, growing up in Southern California, we'd go to the mountains like Big Bear, Mammoth, Tahoe, Colorado, Utah, but that was always for vacation. It was very weird seeing my own home covered in snow. That was a first. Well, it was visually a little little odd. I mean, if you're in the north, you're probably going to laugh at this, but this tomorrow will be day three of kids being out of school. I'm not kidding. My kids been out of school for this tomorrow will be day three, and we don't. The, the grass, the, the snow did not cover all the grass in our yard, and we still don't have uh, snow uh, school for three days, maybe four, we'll see. Um, but we're here today to talk Seattle Mariners prospects, um, Seattle Mariners overall a little bit. We're going to talk about that a little bit first, uh, and then we'll kind of dive into the prospects. And say this, if Jerry DePoto is your GM, if you take a month off, you kind of go off on a uh, round-the-world trip or something, you come back there's probably going to be something different about your team than there was when you left. And that's kind of been his M.O., and, and Kyle, we're seeing that again this year in the, in the offseason. It really is amazing, the speed at which this, or this entire group just keeps making trades. I mean, we're talking about a guy who two, three months out of the season has remade almost half of the Mariners' roster, and that's a year ago. He did something very similar. I believe it was 12 trades in the first couple weeks he took over. So Jerry DePoto is definitely one of the fastest-moving general managers in baseball, and if nothing else, it makes things interesting. Now, there's sometimes you see teams making moves for the sake of making moves, and you can question the wisdom of them. But what's unique and what's in a lot of ways I think reassuring for Mariners fans is all the moves that are made make sense. Now they might not all work out, that's the nature of baseball, but you can at least see the thought process, understand it's a rational thought process, and kind of look at it and say, you know what, there's a direction here we like. And a couple people have asked, what do you think of Jerry DePoto and, and really his whole regime? And what I keep coming back to and saying is the major league product is better than when he took it over. And the farm system is at a better place than when he took it over. That's all you can really ask for a GM who, let's not forget, just this past month finished his first calendar year, past month or two. I mean, it's been barely over a calendar year, and you can look at the Mariners top to bottom and say, yeah, there's more talent, there's a better developmental philosophy, and there's more wins on the field at every level than there was when he took over, which, again, is all you can really ask for at this point. And you do look at it. This is, it's an organization that, to be honest, is in a tough spot from the standpoint that it does feel like that this is a team that the the time is now. If they're going to win, not that they have this very, very small window, but when you look at the the core of the big league team, um, you know, Robinson Cano is right in the prime of his career, but he's on the tail end of the prime of his career. You know, it's, it's something where you don't expect him to get better. You hope he maintains and hangs on to what he's doing so far. Now, 
Kyle Seeger is just right in the... You you could actually... It is not unrealistic. It's unrealistic to expect him to be much better. But it's not unrealistic to think that he can do this for a while to come. But even Felix Hernandez... Who's we not? saw a little bit of the concerns beginning last year, and you have to the wonder... The velocity's back. I mean, he's a different pitcher now than he right. was when he was King Felix a few years ago. The no changeup's still exceptional, but the, the velocity and all is not what it once was overall. No question. And you're right. The Mariners are, are in an interesting place where on the, you know, there is a little bit of a win-now sense in that, yeah, they were in the pennant race this last year until the final few days. You look at the team. They're not exceptionally old, but they're also not exceptionally young. It's a lot of guys in the age range you probably want to be. And they're making some moves to do some supplemental things around the fringes of their roster. They, we haven't seen them acquire that bona fide oh my goodness, stud in really any of the trades. But it's acquiring the Chris Hestons, the Danny Valencias, the Jared Dysons, the guys who aren't the sexiest players in the world from an attention standpoint. But there's a philosophy here that, that we can talk about where it's you're only as good as your weakest link. So if you keep bringing guys into your roster and ensuring that everyone on your team can do something for you and something positive, I mean, all those guys we talk about have definitive strengths and really two or three strengths. None of those guys are really one-dimensional players. They can all hit. They can all field. You know, some guys can run the bases. I mean, there's definitely some things you like in that the Mariners are acquiring guys who you know can help you this year. And all those guys we mentioned, it's not like they're 34, you know, have one or two years right. left in them. You can do some things with them as the years move forward. No, it, it is something where this team has consistently – gotten better in small steps and that you know the reality is is you can get better in small steps and this was an organization that as you said I mean they weren't far off from it last year so that's the good news the bad news is is that they are an older team than you know than kind of some of the teams are chasing the Astros have been consistently over the last couple of years a better team than the Mariners and they're significantly younger. I mean, when you look at the core of that Astros team, they have some younger guys kind of at the core than, say, the, uh, the, the Mariners in do. In fairness, though, I think you'd say about the Astros comparison to most major league teams. I mean, they yeah. really do have a young group of talent that is hard to beat, no matter who you're talking about. When you look at the pitching staff, the, the, rota- you know, the, the, the group of position players. So I do think that from a Mariners perspective – you can't get so caught up in, oh, my my really good guy I like is 25, and their really good guy they have is 22. Talent's talent. And, again, be one thing. If but the they're Mar- also less talented than those teams. Right, and that's, and that's what I think what they're trying to accomplish here is, you know, there's no question. They don't have maybe the group of high-end talent that the Astros do. They don't have the Altuve, Correa, Springer, you know, with a – That's a with, pretty with, good trio. Right. Style. I mean, there's no question. But – you can also look at who the weakest players on the Astros roster were last year, and you could say the Mariners don't have anyone that are as weak as some of who the Astros were trotting out last year. And that's where I think you see some of the mindset between these moves is let's make sure we don't have any sinkholes in our lineup. Let's make sure that we have four or five good outfielders because guess what? You're going to need all of them as opposed to trying to rely on three or four studs and five or six black holes. Not saying that's what the Astros were, but just in general as a team philosophy, I think is a positive mindset to work from. Now, and that's where we kind of get into the prospects because when you do look at this team, one of the things that stands out is is that there are, Kyle Lewis is number one, we'll get back to Kyle Lewis. 
But Tyler O'Neill, who had a breakout season last year, is number two. And it is not crazy in any way to think that Tyler O'Neill, who will be headed to AAA when the season starts, but if there was an injury or something or there's just a need in the second half of the season, not crazy to think that Tyler O'Neill could be there. Not at all. You know, you, you go a little further down, and, I mean, Mitch Hanniger, number five on this list. Every, everyone says Holbrook Camp opening day roster. That was what was told to me the moment he was acquired. That's been reinforced in conversations with local media. Yeah, he's a big leaguer opening day, no question. You know, Andrew Moore is number six on this list. He won't be in the major. If he's in the majors to start of the season, then something went wrong. But if he pitches in the majors at some point in 2016, again, not you know nothing crazy in any way. Dan Vogelbach, number ten on this list, is you know is a guy who will go into spring training competing for a job. Dan Altavilla, if he's not in the bullpen at some point for the Mariners in 2017, it would probably be surprising. They have guys. This is not a, by any stretch, a drop everything. You have to see this farm system. It's an amazing farm system, but it is a farm system now. They got a good contribution from Edwin Diaz last year, but you look at this this year and you say there are a number of guys who could contribute before too long. Exactly. And that's where I think you can look at the Mariners and say there's a real chance, especially with the addition of that second wild card, they have a real chance to end their playoff drought, which goes back to 2001. Now, I'm not saying they're a favorite. I'm not saying right. write it down. But you look at the roster composition. I think the That main... drought goes back. Sorry to interrupt, but that drought goes back. I mean, rewind the clock. The 2001 Mariners, and we're talking, I mean... Brett Boone, John Olerud, yeah, J- a, a younger-ish Jamie Moyer, not forty-year-old, yeah. yeah, Joel Pinheiro. I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of guys that uh, are long since retired and were cornerstones of that team. But it is crazy to think about. You know, the Mariners, the Padres have been to the playoffs multiple times since the Mariners last were. The Rays have been to the playoffs multiple times. All these franchises that for so long were so much worse than the dregs of baseball. Even they've been to the playoffs in a lot of cases. I mean, the, Mariners, I mean, the, Rays, have, you know, the Rays have been to the World Series. Since, right. You know. I mean, and even you know, looking at today, you know, the Reds, who today you could say, oh man, you know, they're on the bottom the of Reds baseball. They had three or four great yeah. years in the postseason. So, I mean, all these teams that Heck, the Royals and Pirates, for the most of that stretch, were terrible franchises, picked no, it up, and now they're great franchises. No, the reality of it is is that you, you look at it, and right now the Mariners have, it is one of the longest droughts, playoff droughts in baseball. And you do look at this, I mean, the thing about it is is that what's tough is they are on, but they're much more, I do feel like that they're much more aiming for a wild card spot realistically than they are saying I, I do it's hard to see see them as the division favorite in these stretch. There's no question. And part of the reason for that is the pitching staff. If you look at that starting rotation, you got Felix who will see where he is health wise, stuff wise. Right, but he's still Felix Right, he's still Felix. James Paxton's who's a good arm, but But again, but if you you're counting on if you get twenty two, twenty three starts out of James Paxton in a year and he's healthy at the end of the year, you count that as a win. Right, you know, they trade away Tylen Walker, they trade away Nate Carnes. I mean, they've brought in, it's a lot of, you know, Chris Heston, it's a lot of number five types. You hope someone goes out and wins the job. And I think if you look at the Mariners and say, where's the weakness, that's it right there. And that's going to be, I think, to be honest, I wouldn't put it past Jerry DePoto to swing another three trades between now and spring training to bring in another arm or two. But I do think that would be a weak spot. But I go back to, you look at the candidates in the rotation, it's not like they're throwing out guys who are failures or 
just downright bad pitchers who really don't have a it really should not be competing for a rotation spot. There's guys with some track record of success, and you hope they can win a job. Now it's well, not great but, success, but it's, well, there's but some. also do you have concerns like Chris Heston? Chris Heston, two years ago, Chris Heston I'm, threw a no hitter, had had some very strong moments of success. If you ask the question, and I haven't delved deeply into it, but I can give a pretty simple answer on this, which is what happened to Chris Heston last year. Chris Heston didn't throw as hard. Yep. Chris Heston has to, I mean, the upper end of Chris Heston throwing at the upper end of his velocity range makes him a potential big league starter. That's, but he has very little room to, to lose something there, and he lost something last year. The Mariners have to see if they can get it back this no, year. No question. And you look at the farm system where they could get reinforcements from, most of their starting pitching depth That's is at the in. lower levels. Andrew Moore is really the only guy you can. You know, I mean, Yarbrough maybe. I mean, yeah, yeah, but yeah. those are. But again, those are. Those are those are those fives. are back in. Those are right. those are fives or sixes. Right. So that's where I think if there is a an issue for the Mariners, that would be where it springs up from. But at the same time, I think you look at a team that won 85, 86 games last year, was in it until the very end. I think they definitely have a better team today than they did you know at midway through last year just talent wise you say yeah if those 85 wins be, or 86 wins becomes 89 which is not out of the realm of possibility yeah sure there's absolutely some playoff hope there one of the guys who fascinates me who will come to you know, as we say come to spring training competing for a job Dan Vogelbach Dan Vogelbach I mean more so much more so than DJ Peterson but you have Dan Vogelbach DJ Peterson who are both guys who have AAA experience at this point and our first baseman slash DHs. In Vogelbach's case, DH slash first base is probably a more accurate way to put it. But what do you think is a realistic expectation for Dan Vogelbach in 2017? I think you'll see him mostly platooning against right-handed pitching. Danny Valencia will get some time there at first base against the left-handers. And Danny Valencia destroys left-handed. He always has. That's what he does. So I think... For Dan Vogelbach, you're gonna see he's gonna get on base. Now, is he gonna hit 250 with a 360 on base, or is he gonna hit 280 with a 360 on base? That's where I think you'll see the differentiation. And the power, you know, he's a big, strong guy who made his name as a prep for his power, but only hit 20 home runs in the minors for the very first time last year. So I don't think you can go into the season expecting Dan Vogelbach in 2017 to go out, be your everyday first baseman, hit 25 bombs, but can he go out, hit 20 doubles, you know, 12 homers, and get on base a ton? Yes, absolutely. And you can use that in a platoon situation when Danny Valencia is coming up and mashing against left-handers. No, it's – it's if you – and there's a lot of pressure on him, to be honest, because Mike Montgomery is going to probably play a significant role for the Cubs. I mean, that was – when you really boil that down, that was the Mike Montgomery for Dan Vogelbach trade. So Absolutely. And Montgomery. You need, I mean, Mike Montgomery would look really good when we talk about the Mariners pitching. It would be it would look really good to have Mike Montgomery in that in that consideration. And in my discussions with all the, you know, interesting, you know, for a prospect handbook, just to give you a peek behind the process, we talk to everyone, you know, GMs, scouting directors, assistant, you know, analytics folks, everyone. Mm-hmm. And 
everyone I talked to, no matter their background, said, yeah, we really didn't have a lefty bullpen arm after we traded Mike Montgomery. And a lot of them felt like that cost them. They could all point right, to because five, six games. They felt like they could have or should have won if they had Mike Montgomery back there. And instead, they lost him. They missed the playoffs. So that was I mean, one of they their... traded him at a time where they weren't out of it. Right. And, and then Vogelbach was not going to contribute for them in 2016. And that's so, something that, you know, they really sought to address this offseason. They acquired, uh, I believe it was five different left-handed <laughs> pitchers uh, that are, you know, kind of... If, pros- if Jerry DePoto can make one move, why not make four? <laughs> Pretty much, exactly. I mean, and that's, well, that's another thing we see with a lot of the guys they're bringing in is, if I have a hole to fill, I'm not bringing in one guy and putting all my chips on him. They've done that with some of their starting pitching. They've done that with the left-handed reliever. reliever. They wanted to improve their outfield, particularly their power output, so they brought in a couple different guys who could play out there. I think that's a little bit of a, all right, if we want one guy, let's bring in four and make them win the job, which goes back to a larger developmental philosophy they've put in place, yeah. which is you have to earn your job. You know, Mike Zanino and Alex Jackson, some of these other guys who were promoted dj peterson Peterson, who were promoted without really ever performing i'll even go back to nick franklin who remember watching in high desert he was fine he was not he should not have been promoted to double a when he was now it kind of ended up working out he made the majors but he's not become the player he could have become and i do think some of that was well let's just bring him up because we think he's ready even though they pretty visibly weren't Oh, I think uh, you have to talk about, I mean, it's it's not just Andy McKay, but Andy McKay came in as a farm director last year and and really sent a message. I mean, I, I rewind, to me, the one that stands out was DJ Peterson because I understand it happens where guys, high draft picks fail, and then at some point they get the bump, partly just to see... Well, let's try something. Bubba Starling last Bubba year. Bubba Starling got the bump last year, and I, you know, like, he, it wasn't that he was hitting at double A to where you say, hey, he should go to triple A. He was the worst hitter in the Texas League at the time that it happened. But it did seem like that, that the move, the decision in 2015 to promote DJ Peterson at the end of what can only be described as a pretty down year in double A, Andy McKay came in, and it very much. It flipped the script on this. Alex Jackson, who cares if you were a top 10 pick? We're sending you to extended. We're sending you to extended, even though no no player, no top, no first round pick basically had been on that timetable in the in this, this century. Don't care. DJ Peterson, you may have ended the year in AAA, but you didn't earn it. So go back, back to, to double A, earn it. Tyler O'Neill, yeah, you had a nice season in the Cal League. It wasn't bad by any stretch of imagination. But we challenge you, when you go to double-A, you need to be a much better hitter. It's not just about hitting the 500-foot home run. And Tyler O'Neill turns into basically the destroyer of worlds <laughs> in the Southern League. They did this. You, again, pitchers the, Luis Gohara, who they basically yeah. sat down and said, you're overweight. We're closer. You're we're closer to cutting you than promoting you. So you're going back to extended for a fourth straight year. Right. We don't care what you sign for. I mean, there's no question. There's this accountability that was put in place, top to bottom of the organization, where guys have to compete for their spot and they're going to win their spot. And you know, it's one thing to do that at the minor league level, but then not really do it at the major league level. And they're putting it in practice at the big league level, and that's where we're seeing them acquire. Like I go back to, hey, when you left hand reliever, let's bring in four different ones and challenge them to win the job. 
The other thing that stands out with that is, is that they also put an emphasis on winning at the minor league level. Same guys. I mean, now some, you could, again, one thing that goes with that is, is a lot of guys went back to the level that they played the year before at because it was earn your way to the next level. So that did mean that your teams are a little better because DJ Peterson on a double-A team helping more than DJ Peterson, you know, at a, going straight to AAA, things like that. But that being said, with largely the same players that did not win at all in 2015, the Mariners had success up and down the minor league level. Pretty much, they were going to the playoffs at almost every level. They were having success. They won with the same players who lost the year before. There's something to be said about that, too. No question. I think you just look and look around the system and talk to the guys, not just the in-house scouts, but the out-of-house scouts, who you talk to them about some Mariners prospects. A year or two ago, they're like, eh, you know, this guy. But, you know, we would hear a lot about, eh, this guy, I don't like his effort, I don't like his makeup. I remember hearing that a lot when I was in High Desert when they were a Mariners affiliate and then doing some other stuff in the Cow League and they moved to Bakersfield and it's like, yeah, I mean, this guy's got some talent, but I don't like the way he does this or that or the other thing. And now it's like, no, these guys are really good ball players, and we want to we want to acquire them. And it's it's just interesting to hear that dynamic change, not just in house but out of house as well. So that to kind of that leads into kind of where we're going to wrap up to for this this portion of this podcast with so Kyle Lewis number one. Start with. Kyle Lewis versus Tyler O'Neill. Kyle wrote our Mariners top ten. How much of debate was that? What ended up deciding? What was the deciding factor of no? Kyle Lewis is number one ahead of Tyler O'Neill. You're gonna laugh. It was a debate in this office and a debate, I think, out in the blogosphere. And when we posted the Mariners top ten prospects, got a lot of questions about that. Within the Mariners front office, there was no debate. And keep in mind, they all love Tyler O'Neill. Mm-hmm. But to them, that's the level of a player Kyle Lewis is. Kyle Lewis is a guy that throughout, again, the analytics guys, the farm director staff, the pro scouting staff, to the GM, to everyone, top to bottom of the organization, really just a talent that is so rare to come by in terms of his ability to hit for average, hit for power. Another thing with him as a defender, you know, they talked about, well, we saw him play right field in the Cape, so we weren't really sure. Then they watched him play center at Mercer. He played center at Everett until he got hurt. And they're like, you know what? He catches every ball he's supposed to, and then some. Forget what the raw tool grades are. He plays a really good center field. So you take all that, you combine this amazing makeup, and you just see this guy who you can build a franchise around. And as much as you like Tyler O'Neill, you know, someone, and it came up in the chat, and the way I put it was, if you ha- could have a choice between Adam Jones and Chris Davis, you want both of them. They're both excellent baseball players who you really want on your team. But you're going to choose Adam Jones every time. Play center field, you know, higher average, still puts up 30 bombs, just a great all-around player. That was sort of the way I, I, I described it as much as, yeah, Chris Davis hits, you know, 25 home runs in a bad year and 40 in a good year and is definitely a middle-of-the-order slugger. You're still going to take Adam Jones every day of the week. And to me, that was the best way I could explain kind of the discussion, the dynamic of Kyle Lewis versus Tyler O'Neill after God knows how many hours talking to people in-house with the Mariners and how they saw it. If even one person 
in the Mariners organization said, I have Tyler O'Neill ranked ahead Kyle Lewis, it would have been more of a discussion to me. But the fact that no one did, and again, and again, not- when you go out of the house too. Now again, the thing people don't realize a lot is, is we we run these as many out of uh, out of you know outside sources of absolutely. Can. Now at the same time, there are differences when you are talking to people in house. It's pretty easy to have them compare right Lewis versus O'Neill. When you go out of house. You are only the only sources you are having on that is, is a pro scouting director or someone on that level who maybe is putting together the overall an overall board for a team because there's basically no such thing as the pro scout or the area scout doing pro coverage who probably ended up seeing or if there is it's a very small number who saw Kyle Lewis pre injury after right. the after the draft and saw Tyler O'Neill. And so what we, Southern League and then, you know, Northwest League. Those are very different. And so what we do and then in those cases, you know, we speak we get a lot of input from opposing managers and we do talk to scouts who saw the Southern League and scouts who maybe saw right. Northwest League. And you can see a little bit of how they're talking about players. What are they saying? What are they seeing? And again, every scout, every manager involved in the Northwest League was Kyle Lewis is a stud. He's the best player in our league. I wish he was one of mine. And with Tyler O'Neill, you had a lot of, wow, this guy hits balls a mile. He's really, really, really good. But you could still see the, I think he might have trouble here. There's this there's this thing. You could still see some of the, okay, there's, there's maybe a few more scuff marks, if you will. Not enough to prevent him from being a good major leaguer. But again, you just, you see the comparisons and the tone and how they're being discussed. And it just became clearer and clearer to me talking to people throughout the industry that, you know, Kyle Lewis is the number one prospect, and while the injury throws that into some doubt, there's just something about him and his talent that you can't deny and just has everything you want in a number one organizational top prospect. Yeah, and that's the, the, the last thing with that is, is you just hit on it, which is, is that I do think there would have been less discussion on who's number one, if not for the fact that Kyle Lewis suffered a pretty significant knee injury. Collision at home plate. Um, he's going into home plate. Collision with the catcher. Really, one of those absolutely freak accidents. And that was my first question when I finally got to talking to some of the Mariners folks. Is okay. What's the status? Where is it at? And again, you know, maybe maybe they're overly rosy or whatever. But to a man, it was it wasn't as bad as we initially feared. In that doctors went in. It was again. It's it's still a serious injury. You can't you know, downgrade a torn ACL and meniscus and, and some really bad things that happened. But it's no. <laughs> but at the same time it was a fairly in their mind a standard ACL and you know torn ACL, which, you know, thanks to the wonders of modern medicine, are fixable. You know, so they put them back together and we saw them at the winter meetings and we're talking about three or f- not even four full months, I don't believe post doesn't have a brace. He's walking around just fine. I mean, you know, it, obviously and, that's different than running and changing direction right, center but, field, but, but again, it's encouraging. But it is something where, and Kyle Lewis, by all accounts, is someone who has the work ethic that he's going to, you hear the, the cliche of, you know, you work even got better in better shape because of it. Well, that is one thing about an ACL injury, a significant, especially if you have an ACL plus cartilage and all that. It is an opportunity to really kind of, when it's all said and done, the knee may never be 100% of what it was before. Doesn't mean it gets, doesn't get close, but it, 
it may not be 100%, but it does mean that all the muscles around it and everything, you end up strengthening them to a level that you never did before because you had never, never had a need to. Right. So I, I do think there's a general sense that, yes, this knee injury was horrific. And we won't really know until he comes back. But, yes, there's a belief 20, in By the end of 2017, we will have a lot more information about his recovery than we have right. now. But there's a belief that he'll put in the work. There's a sense that... And we've that, seen so far already that he's put, you know... Yeah, there's, there's, there's the recovery to date has been great. And now it's just a matter of, you know, that there's still that talent there. This injury should not sap all his ability. So to this point, yeah, he's the number one prospect, even with the injury, which you're right, was the complicating factor in this discussion. No question about it. And let's just not also overlook the fact that he was there at pick 11 still stuns me because on pure talent, Kyle Lewis was definitely, by all accounts, better than the 11th best player available in the 2016 draft. A lot of folks talked about him as, the Mariners specifically had him as, throughout the entire draft process, one of the three best players. You know, one time it might have been one, one time it's three, but never lower than three. I talked to two other teams who said, who weren't picking high enough to get him, but said, yeah, we considered him a top five, six talent. There's no question about it, but we see with the draft and, you know, how teams want to sprout their bonuses, what they're looking for. These things happen. And someone even asked me out in the chat, and I pulled up, okay, here's the list of guys who ended up going number 11 overall, all of whom fell for whatever reason. And it was not a red flag or a warning sign. And no, I mean he was our he was the 2016 Baseball America College Player of the Year. Our College Player of the Year list that there aren't a whole lot of busts on that. I'll put it that way. Right. So again, I, I do think that you know I it never even occurred to me that people would see that as a red flag. But for those that do, don't. It's fine. If anything to be quote unquote concerned about, it would be this knee injury, which again. We think is going well, but we'll ne- we won't really know until he's in the batter's box or running around center field, right. you know, in a game situation. But well, we actually, if you wonder about how Kyle Lewis's rehab is going, fortunate enough, Kyle Lewis was at the uh, twenty sixteen Baseball America Awards Gala. Talked to him at the end of the gala. Talked to him a little bit about the rehab. This is okay, so it's about a month old now, but we wanted to save it for this. Felt like a good time to show it. So. Here is Kyle Lewis talking about what his rehab has been like coming back from the uh, surgery. We're here as we wrap up the Baseball America Awards Gala. We're honored to be here with our College Player of the Year, now Seattle Mariner, Mercer University's Kyle Lewis. Kyle, congratulations on the honor. Congratulations on the season. But I have to start with also excited to see if you know, you're listening on this on a podcast you're not able to see Kyle. If you're listening, you probably know Kyle had a, a significant knee injury this year. Mm-hmm. Standing here looking at Kyle, you would never know. <laughs> he, you would never know. And I, you know, and and we talked a little bit before the awards gala started, but not surprised. But you've kind of used this significant knee injury. It's just inspiration to move on. It's not something where you stop and say, what happened to me? Why me? Oh, yeah. No, I, I think, uh, you know, growing up, I was always taught that, you know, life is not going to be, you know, smooth sailing. It's always going to be a roller coaster. You look at everybody's career. They've had they've had ups and they've had downs. So I just look at this as one of my downs, and I'm just waiting for my up. So I'm just excited to hit that corner. So tell people, you know, kind of what is the process you have to go to go through 
to get yourself ready, you know, with all this. I know I saw you've already posted, you've already tweeted a video. Yeah. You're running on treadmill, so you're already running. But, I mean, what kind of timetable have they given you to say, you know, hey, you'll be ready to go, you know, full speed again? Have they given you that yet, or is that? Well, from surgery date, the original tentative timetable is 10 months. And so from there, it's just on how hard do you want to push it and how much pain can you endure, essentially, to go faster. So for me... I guess you took that as a challenge, I'm going to go. Oh, yeah, I challenge myself every day to come... Ten months, I could be better than that. And, you know, know, the amount of pain, for me, isn't a factor. It's push it as hard as you can, and whatever pain is associated with that, I'll just have to go through that and deal with that. Because if I sell myself short trying to be comfortable then I'm never going to essentially get what I want to get out of it, which is facing that adversity and going through that pain. So, With that, how do you, I mean, I've had guys, tip, you know, have gone through Tommy John before, and they say, you know, the reality is, is when it's all said and done, mm-hmm. there are better players coming out of it because the reality of it is, is that, you know, they already worked hard, but it's like they, they bumped yeah. it up another notch. With you, I mean, like, when you're done with this, you know, kind of where do you think body-wise and all, are you, I mean, is it going to have yeah, bumped yeah. you up? This is the thing is, is I realized... That, 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 that for me, I feel the exact same way. I feel like when I'm going to come out of this, I'm going to be a different level of person, a different level of worker, honestly. I feel like I've weight trained in the past, but never at the level that I'm at now. And being able to withstand pain that I've never had to withstand before, now I know, or withstand before, now I know that you know I can go through that. So the pain that I feel or, or the soreness that I feel after a weight training session is not nearly going to have the same effect on me. And just being Nothing able to compare to an no, ACL. No, and being able to be more flexible. I realize, you know, I get to slow it down, be more flexible, work on my mobility and things like that when I come back. What, what have you done to like? I mean, what are you doing? Kind of some of the the rehab exercises you're doing to kind of add some of that flexibility. Oh, a lot of stretching, a lot of um, shoulder mobility things. I'll uh, do a lot of like lat raises and you know a lot of foam roll. We have like a buffer that we use. A lot of massages from the trainer. So. Just a sorted amount of stuff. The training strap is great. They have a lot of options, so I just take advantage of it. One other thing that stood out from when you accepted the award when you were up there on the on the on the podium, and you mentioned freshman year, you're Kyle Lewis first round pick. Kind of a nice reminder to people that, you know, it doesn't come easy. Mm-hmm. Freshman year, you show up at Mercer. And let's be honest, I mean I I'm I'm from May, you know, I've I've spent many a year making Mercer's a very good program. But this is not coming into the defending national champion. You show up and Hey, okay, I'm going to earn a starting job. And that first game comes around, and you're not there yet. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from that? Like, I mean, do you think that helped you kind of get to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. I think that for me, I never had to really work to take somebody else's spot. I always had my spot. And so once I came in and realized, you know, I'm playing with 23-year-old guys who have spots, and I have to work outwork them to take that spot. For me, I just started to try to mold my mindset like that. Now I try to carry that with everything that I do. You know, even coming into pro ball, it's like now you got maybe a 30-year-old guy instead of a 23-year-old, but it's the same same idea. You got to take their spot, and so so I just don't back down from the challenge now. And I think you know I give a lot of credit to that moment. Well, again, great to see you in person, Kyle, our 2016 College Player of the Year. Thanks. And we'll be looking forward to seeing you know hopefully Midwest League you know mm-hmm. before too long. Yeah. In 2017, I know 10 months. For you, you know, it's going to be less than 10 months. No, it'll be less. You'll see me soon enough. Thanks a lot, Kyle. Thank you. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.